Well, we are going to take the next several weeks and talk about things that Jesus would undo. You know, I don't know if is anybody here old enough to remember the 1990s? That was a long time ago. People used to wear these rubber bracelets. They had WWJD. What would Jesus do, right? And it's kind of interesting. A, a church in Holland, Michigan, their youth group kind of uh, launched that whole trend. And it was from reading a book called In His Steps, which is like 100 years old. And Pastor Charles Sheldon, I believe, wrote the book. And it was a fictionalized account of a small city where... Um, People were faced with ethical and moral dilemmas, and they were answering the question, what would Jesus do? And that's a great question. God has used it powerfully. But, you know, there are also things Jesus would undo. Uh, Things that we do sort of instinctively or automatically without thinking. And I don't believe that really pleases the Lord. We should be aware of what we do and why. Our experience as a church should be meaningful and real, not just tradition. And so we're going to look into some of those things in the weeks to come. I just, before we go any further, I want to thank the Lord and thank you for helping to make last weekend so special. You invited neighbors and friends and family members, and almost 600 people showed up for worship. But even better, there were 30 people who returned response cards saying they gave their heart to Jesus. So... Praise the Lord. That's the best. That's the best. And uh, so now our work is cut out for us, right? I mean, that's who we are as a church is helping people find faith in Christ and then learn to live it out. And so actually baptizing people is part of that. It's an initial step, an early step in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we don't do it right away, but there's no reason to wait. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are invited to witness to that in a public way through baptism. So the way we do it here is that after I've uh, spoken the word of God, shared the message for the next 15 or 20 minutes, then we will hear them share the message of their story. They've written their testimony, their life story uh, in short form, and that will be read when they come into the baptismal tank with me And then when their story is done, they usually end it with their favorite scripture verse. I baptize them and we encourage you when they come up out of the water, the Bible says all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person finds faith in Christ. So we want to party with the angels, okay? And so we want to cheer them on and applaud and and, uh, thank God for what he's done in their life. Can we do that? Are you with me? All right. So that's not sacrilegious or inappropriate It's a great way to praise the Lord and uh, encourage these folks. Now, sometimes we see bad things happen. I mean, really bad things. Immoral things, inappropriate things. Uh, Certainly in in our culture these days, we see racial inequity still existing around us. But we don't want to cause trouble. We don't want to make people angry. So we don't say anything. It's called indifference, and Jesus isn't happy with that. Sometimes we feel slippage in our own heart, you know? We felt closer to God at one point, but something happened, or we become attracted to someone or something other than God, and stuff is going on that we know shouldn't go on, and yet we don't do anything about it. 
It's called disobedience. Um, there are times when we come to church and we just kind of go through the motions, you know. Maybe they didn't sing our favorite song. Or maybe we weren't in a great mood. And so we miss the moment, you know. It's interesting to me that, especially the Old Testament and the Psalms, give us a lot of instruction on how we should worship. Tells us that there are times when we should stand in awe of God. It, it, it says there are times when we should clap our hands and praise the Lord. It says there are times to shout to the Lord. You know the only thing it says, it doesn't say? It doesn't say we should sit there and do nothing. We just kind of let other people worship for us. And yet, sometimes it happens. Those are things I believe Jesus would want to undo. And we're going to address them all in the weeks to come. Today, we're talking about religiosity turning Christianity into a religion. You've probably heard it said, Christianity's not a religion, it's a relationship, right? And we say that, and that's a good and true thing. The question is, well, what do you really mean by that? Like, okay, so if Christianity's not a religion, usually when people use the term religion, they mean um, a particular way of thinking about reality, about God, about people, about the universe. Well, if, if it means that, then in a sense, Christianity is religious, but it's not a true textbook religion in that the textbook meaning of religion is being bound in obedience, being, being locked in to a formula. And we don't believe Christianity is that because Jesus said he gave, came to give us life and life to the full. So it may start with a worldview I hope it does, a biblical way of thinking about God, about creation, about people. But it goes beyond that into a living relationship with God where he's actually speaking into our lives. We do the things we do on purpose, not because we have to, but because we get to. And that, my friends, that, that if we're not there, if we're locked in on the, you know, check the box Christianity, I showed up at church a couple times a month, check. I put something in the offering plate when I went by, check. And I, I, I read my Bible because I felt like I had to, check. If that's where you are, then Jesus wants to undo that by taking you beyond that into something much more meaningful and real. Every once in a while, someone who doesn't know me will ask me who I am and what I do. It happened to me just this week. Some of you know I've become a pickleball uh, fanatic. I'm not good at it, I just like it, okay? And I went down to the senior center on Thursday evening when, the, when all of us uh, old guys play pickleball. And this guy, Mike, first time there, who are you? And we, he was actually a pretty nice guy. We hit it off, we had a nice conversation, and then he asked. <laughs> so what do you do? I really wanted to lie. I really did, you know. But especially when he finds out what I do, I can't, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And usually one of two things happen, right? If they're a church-going person, suddenly you get super spiritual. Praise the Lord. Brother Glenn, we're so happy that we have another believer. And, you know, that gets a little weird. Or it goes boom. <laughs> oh, you're a pastor. 
<clears throat> you know, nothing else to say about that, right? Well, Mike was kind of interesting because he was somewhere in between. And he, uh, he started asking me about, well, well, tell me about your church. I said, I said, Mike, this is the one week of the year when every pastor is proudest of their church, right? It's the week after Easter. It was amazing. It was awesome. But, you know, um, I'm not just proud of what God is doing in our church on Easter because there are some amazing things that are happening all the time, like today. Like today. Wow. And um, so we got talking. And what was interesting, one of the things he asked me was, he says, do, do younger people come to your church? And I, I knew why he asked, right? I mean, his assumption was that there aren't many young people anymore in church these days. And I was pleased to tell him he was wrong. I was also pleased to tell him that we have a nice broad spectrum representing pretty much every generation. And that, uh, that I am pleased and privileged to be here. That in the arc of my life, God has led me to these people at this point. And um, I was thinking about the fact that when I'm locked into religion, this is my job. When I'm living in a relationship, this is my privilege. This is, this, is, this is the thing I'd most like to do with my one and only life. Because there is a God, I believe there is a God that we just sang about. I think it's so cool that we sang the Apostles' Creed because historically when people are baptized, the church says the Apostles' Creed, and we just did it, right? I believe in God the Father, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Savior. And I, you know, I believe those things to be absolutely true, and I believe that our only hope for life here and hereafter is in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, not in a, a religious exercise. And Jesus Christ taught us that. I mean, he modeled that. He told us about that. In Luke chapter 18, I want to take us to a story that illustrates perfectly what I'm talking about today because I want to reflect what Jesus was talking about, which is the fact that there's a difference between religion and relationship. Luke chapter 18, there's a Bible in the pew. We'll have it on the screen. You can fire up version if you have the app on your phone. And if you go to the version app, you'll also have the outline that's in the, in the program today. And you can follow along and fill in the blanks electronically, or you can just write them in as we go. Here's the story. Jesus told a story. So this is a parable. Right? This, is, this wasn't an actual account. This is a story Jesus makes up and tells. To some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Uh, church people. Religious people. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week, and I give you one-tenth of all I earn. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough even to look up toward heaven. 
He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God have pity on me. I am such a sinner. And let's we'll kind of loop back and walk through that just very quickly. Two men went into the temple to pray. Now, if you were listening to this story being told by Jesus, a, a rabbi, a teacher, and he set it up like this. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And I wish we didn't know the story because we get it all wrong from our perspective. You see, what Jesus is saying is there was a good guy and there was a bad guy. And everybody listening would know who they were. The good guy was the Pharisee. The Pharisee was a keeper of the law. The Pharisee was a person who made every effort to make sure they never did anything wrong. 613 Old Testament laws. And their goal of any good Pharisee was to keep every single one of them. In addition... If you were a Pharisee, a, a, a teacher of the law, by the time you were 12 or 13 years old, you had memorized the first five books of the Older Testament, word for word. Anybody here done that? I'd be pretty impressed if you did, okay? Memorize, word for word, the first five books of the Older Testament. I mean, we don't get it. We think of Pharisees as kind of usually the bad guy. In this story, the Pharisee is set up as the good guy. And everybody who's listening gets it. They understand it. And the tax collector is the bad guy, of course. Who here loves the IRS? All right? I mean, you can start there, except we know from the ancient Middle East, from the, uh, Jewish history, we know that this time in history, uh, Israel was occupied by Rome. So this tax collector was a traitor. Uh, who's the most famous trader in American history? Anybody? Benedict Arnold. Benedict Ar I'm a Canadian. You got to help me out with American history, okay? Benedict Arnold. So he's Benedict Arnold on steroids because not only is he betraying his own people to the Roman officials, but if you know anything about how this happened, how they made their living, they skimmed off the top. They overcharged and pocketed the change. So he's a crook. And he's a creep, <laughs> okay? And everybody knows it. You know, one was a Pharisee, a good guy. The other was a tax collector, a bad guy. The Pharisee, the good guy, stood over by himself, interesting phrase. You know, if you're really, really good, you want everybody to know it. If you're really, really good, you kind of want to put yourself out there so you'll be noticed. And that's exactly what he was doing. And in this posture of pride, he prayed. God, I thank you. And that's a good way to start, isn't it? Good guy prayer. I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? I, mean, I, think, I think that's a good thing. I'm not greedy, not dishonest, and not unfaithful in marriage like other people. Hmm. Like other people. Like other people. I, you know, 
It isn't just so much that I don't do those things, it's that I don't do those things nearly as much as other people do those things. You know, if, if, if God, if you're, one, if you're impressed with how good people are, then you should be really impressed with me. And God, if there's kind of a, a grade on the curve, those who are better than most, I'm better than most, okay, compared to everybody else. And I am really glad that I'm not like that tax collector over there. <laughs> Look at him, right? Look at him. So the first list, look at that first list. I'm not greedy, I'm not dishonest, and I'm not unfaithful. That's his don't do list. Now, pretty much all of us have a don't do list. In fact, like I've, I'm, I've been a pastor now 39 years. I can't tell you how many times people have introduced themselves to me, found out that I'm a pastor, and wanted to impress me with how good they are. And they say this, well, man, I have not robbed a bank and I've never killed anybody. Well, I am really glad for you, you know. Woohoo, you stand out above the crowd. You've never robbed a bank and you've never killed anybody. And that's exactly what this guy's doing, okay? I've never robbed a bank. I've never killed anybody. I've never uh, been greedy. I've never been dishonest. And I've never been unfaithful. That's my do-do, my don't-do list. I don't do those bad things. And I'm really glad I'm not like that tax collector. I go without eating. Oh, this is my doo-doo list, right? Everybody has their doo-doo list. I fast. Uh, fasting is a good thing. In fact, in those times when I have fasted, I have, uh, when I've done it for the right motive and the right reason, it's been a very soul-nourishing activity. Uh, about how many times a day do you eat? Three. <laughs> most, most people are three. If you don't eat three times a day, do you notice? right? You're like, hmm, what's going on here? I, I'm feeling this thing. That's why people fast is because when you don't eat, you notice. And when you notice it, you have an opportunity to say, you know, there's a God who loves me and I want to I just let this go right now and think about him instead. It's a powerful thing. I go without eating for two days a week and I give you one-tenth of all I earn. There's a word for that. What's that word? I tithe. Tithing is a really cool thing. You know, God blesses those who, who bless him. When you give to God, he honors you. And so what's wrong with that, right? I fast and I tithe. And I'm pretty proud of myself for doing it. And I'm standing here as an example of just how good I can be. So then let's go on. The tax collector stood off at a distance. Interesting phrase. Remember the, the, uh, the Pharisee stood by himself because he was so proud? Now the, now the tax collector stands by himself because he is so ashamed and did not think he was good enough even to look up toward heaven. Now, in the ancient Middle East, when you prayed, your typical posture was to stand and to look up, okay? But he says, no, I can't, I can't even do that. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God, have pity on me. I am such a sinner. 
So he sees himself in a completely different light. He, he sees himself as broken and fallen and far from God, in need of a Savior, in need of God's help. And interestingly, when Jesus finishes the story, let's go on. Then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector, the bad guy, and not the Pharisee, the good guy, who was pleasing to God. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. I think I was 17 or 18 years old when the Good News translation of the New Testament became popular. And I heard a rumor that there was a word in that translation that I, I could hardly believe was in the Bible. So I got a hold of it. I looked it up. It was in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And it said, when you compare yourselves by yourselves, you are stupid. <laughs> I was like, my mom won't even let me say that word. You know, I can't call anybody that. How in the world did that get in the Bible? Well, it's the rest of the translations say you are not wise. You are foolish. It's a very, very strong word. Stupid is not a bad translation, actually. It's the only thing in the Bible that we're told is that stupid, that foolish. And what is it? Comparing yourselves by yourselves. Thinking you get points with God because of how extra good you are. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, because the other people to whom we are comparing ourselves are far from God, and we are far from God. The gap between our sin and God's perfection is so vast that we're just kidding ourselves, right? Well, I'm better than them. Well, yeah, so? Well, you know, but I, I'm, I try harder, I jump higher, I do better things, I don't do worse things. Yeah, so? So does that make you a holy person? Does that bridge the gap between you and God? Absolutely not. The only way to bridge the gap between you and God is for God to bridge it in the person of Jesus Christ. You can never jump high enough or try hard enough to please God. You can only receive his gift of forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sins and mine and everyone else's completely, all of them, paid in full. It is finished. Tetelestai. And when he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday morning, he proved that everything he said was true. And then not only did he pay the penalty for our sin, but he now has the possibility of giving us a whole new life. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ and not through ourselves. So it's not about me. It's not about my don't do list or my do do list. It's not about being better than somebody else or good enough to please God. It is about recognizing how much I need Jesus and how Jesus is my only hope. And when I get it, Jesus is my only hope, and I trust in him, and I want to live with him. Life changes. And I can tell you from many years of experience as a pastor that people struggle with that. We all do at times. People come to me, and they're like, well, pastor, like, 
what are the rules? Like, when it comes to, like, the party life, how, how much can I do in, and not really, like, lose everything? Pastor, what do you think about R-rated movies, you know? I mean, there's hard R's, and then there's those R's that, you know, it's like, uh, you, you want me to give you a list? Well, actually, yeah, I do want you to give me, you, know, you give me your list, and then I'll, I'll decide whether I like your list. Well, I'm, I'm afraid you're probably not going to like my list, right? And so what do I do? What do you do? You, you kind of take a poll of your friends, and you kind of try and figure it out. And what we end up doing is figuring out kind of the lowest common denominator, you know? What, it, what is the, the, the least commitment that I have to make and still be right with God? How much can I get away with and still get to heaven? That is the wrong question. That is the religious question. That is the do-do and don't do. And the right question is, since Jesus Christ gave his life for me, and I've asked him to be my leader and forgiver, what would please him most? What should I take into my body? that would be honoring to him and what should I not put in there that would be dishonoring? I mean, he, he makes it pretty clear that anything that damages our bodies and, and especially those things that have long-term consequences, they are, they're bad for us. He's not trying to spoil your fun. He's trying to spare your pain. He's trying to spare your pain. And so, so then, we, then we live inside out and upside down. We say it's not what are the minimum entry requirements for heaven. It's like, what is the maximum opportunity to have life and life to the full? And that's when we start to really live. And in a moment, we are going to celebrate the new life in the lives of these six people who have in various points and stages and you know, parts of their history, you'll hear their story in just a minute, come to that place where they realize it's not about me, it's all about him. And those of us who have gathered here today, we've gathered in a place that's often perceived to be a religious institution that gives us boxes to check and rules to keep. And I'm here to tell you that we are here to guide you into a living relationship with the awesome God who loves you. And what we want you to do is love him back. Love him back. You see, I figured out a long time ago that what this really is, is a life for a life. He gave his life for me. I give my life back. And he guides me into a sustainable, healthy relationship with him. And when I take that seriously, there are some things I don't do. Not because they're on my don't do list but because they would damage my relationship with my loving Lord. And there are some things I know that I should do. I, I'm still amazed that when I read the Bible, God's word, it actually speaks to me. I mean, not it doesn't speak to me. He speaks to me. Really? You know, if you will make an effort and show up and talk to and listen to the awesome God of the universe, guess what? He'll meet you. What? 
<laughs> the awesome God of the universe will meet you if you will make an effort to meet him. Wow, fantastic. What a pleasure. What a privilege. What an opportunity. So lean into that. Lean into him and watch what he does. Don't do religion. Live in a relationship. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Jesus, who he is, what he's done, how he is still alive. And I pray that even now today, right in this moment, if there's anybody here who doesn't have that kind of relationship with you, may they reach out in faith. Lord Jesus, I pray for you to come in and live in me, live through me, love through me. And I pray that you would make that a living, real, healthy, alive walk, connection. Soul to soul, heart to heart, life to life. And I pray that as a church family here at Davison Free Methodist, we would lean into you. We wouldn't compare ourselves by ourselves but we keep our eyes on you, our leader, our forgiver, our Lord, our master. We love you back, Jesus. We never want to get over you. Hear our prayers in your name we pray. Amen.